0: Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this minister, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. I want to start today with a sermon that I wanted to preach. and I just want to talk about planning your story, planning your story. How many know that we can make plans, but God designs our steps? Amen. So let's stand and let's go to the book of John, if you would, with me. John, the first chapter, that would be St. John. It's page 1119 in my Bible. And we're going to talk about planning your story. How many know you don't just happen to get there? You need a direction. You don't just get in your car and show up where you want to go. You need to have a road map. You need to have a direction. You need to have a plan. It's interesting to note that there's a lot of people that even though they have help and they have different devices that can help them, they still get lost. Amen? I won't ask a show of hands of the people that regularly get lost in here. I kind of tend to do that because I'm like, oh, that's a nice tree. Oh, that's a nice barn. Pretty soon I've taken a wrong turn. It's kind of just me enjoying life. It's my nature. But um, my wife's like, hey, we missed our turn. And I'm like, I was just enjoying the drive. Um, But we also have to have a direction. Amen. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But let's begin in John. If you're there, say amen. The Bible in verse 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was nothing was not anything made that was made. And him was life. And the life was the light of men. Amen. His life is our light. And I want to jump down to verse 14 if you could help me there. Verse 14 it says. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. I want to live my life full of grace and truth. How about you? So I want to talk to you for a little bit about planning your story. In the beginning was the word. That word right there in the Greek is logos. It means plan. In the beginning was God's plan. And of course it would be with God because it was his plan. Amen. So it was with him, and that plan was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So Jesus planned his story, because he was God before he was Christ, amen? So when he came as Christ, he was living out the story prepared for him, and I just want to tell you that I want a planned life. I want a story that's beautiful at the end of my days. I want Jesus to testify of me, amen, and say that God has been with that man and with that woman maybe you want that story too I don't know but I really feel like there's people here that really love God this morning or you wouldn't be here you wouldn't have dressed up God smelling good looking good the way you are right now if you didn't believe that God wants to do something with your life so let's give him our plan today and let him do a great story in that Jesus would you help us to somehow reach into the word of God and extrapolate and pull out something beautiful for us to be nourished on and fed on today Jesus would you keep us hungry and thirsty after the word and I pray that you'd use this for your glory and everyone said in Jesus name you may be seated in the beginning was the word I'm glad there was a plan before there was a problem someone say amen how many have ever run out of gas oh my goodness with all of the technology that we have, with all the trustworthy gas gauges that we have, with all the lights, the bells, and the whistles that tell us you have this much gas left, you have 50 miles left to drive, you have so much to do, um, you, ha- you can go so far before you're going to stop, we still run out of gas. In fact, some statistics, they may be true, they are statistics, say that right around 15% of all m- emergency calls are simply because somebody ran out of gas on the side of the road. How do we do this when we have gas stations everywhere? We're not in scarcity for gas. It's not like we have to drive 100 miles to get to a gas station, but we still, because we have this propensity to procrastinate, amen, we'll get it next time, or we'll get it when we're near home, or the price is better over by the mall, or the, we, know, we know that we can get gas in different places, but we still tend to run out. I remember one time where I nearly ran out of gas. I don't run out of gas often. I don't know that I've ever run out of gas. If I have, forgive me for not remembering, but I usually am right on top of that, and I I set my wallet up on the dash where the light turns on, where the gas tells you hey you're running out of gas and I never saw the light and I looked down and literally was on fumes my father used to do this he knew how to coast into the gas station anybody have a father like that he could literally drive a cart on fumes and like would it would it would literally conk out as he's pulling into the pump he would I don't know if it was some sort of weird enjoyment that he had like I got everything out of this tank but that is not the way that I want to live my life. I don't like worrying and fretting whether I'm going to get where I need to go. And then the story that I want to pull for you today, not only am I talking about Jesus being made flesh and living the plan that was set before the world began, but I also want to talk about the five foolish and five wise virgins. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. And that particular story is very interesting, and we'll get to it in just a minute. But as we look at the fact that so many have so many problems with even their gas tank being full i wonder if sometimes we procrastinate in our prayer life and we procrastinate somebody help me preach about now we procrastinate procrastinate in the areas where god wants us to be proactive amen And I'm asking you today to examine your own story. Where would you say that your story would be better had it been for you being a person that walked after God's spirit and not after your flesh? And where have you made decisions you wish you could go back and change and you could start all over at a point and make something different in that moment or in that time of your life? If you look back and you see things you either regret or you wish you could change, I want you to know that there's a God who can redeem the past. Amen. He can start now and go back into your past and make it for your good. And then he can take your future and make it better. I want to live by God's plan in my life. I really do and in the beginning as we talk about this word I want you to know that there is a development that came into our world in 325 AD that said that God or Jesus Christ was a second person in a trinity that never is in the Bible. There's no place where you find the word trinity in the Bible. I want you to understand me carefully that the Jews of Jerusalem believed in Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and it says, Hear, o Israel, the Lord Lord our God is one Lord. I want to say one. That's why Jesus, when he said that he was the Son of God, they picked up stones and wanted to stone him in John 10 and 30 through 33 because they said he had blasphemed. What they meant by that was, we only serve one God, and that is Jehovah. How can you say that you are God and you are a human? You are not capable of being God with the limitations of a human being. And what they were really understanding is the fact that no man, could really be God because God was so big and so amazing but what they didn't understand that when Jesus came into this earth he didn't come just by accident he was born of a woman in fact God overshadowed her and she conceived and the bible says that she birthed a son even though she was a virgin and then that conception was caused by God therefore God took on the role of father it was a title given to God amen and so that title of God in, in the sense that he overshadowed Mary and created a body a body that was begotten at a manger everyone say begotten begotten means beginning there was no place where God had a body before that for John 6 for John 4 I'm trying to find my, my notes here real quick John four twenty four said God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth God is a spirit being amen and the spirit conceived in Mary and so the begotting the beginning or the the beginning point of Jesus Christ as a human being as a body took place in the womb and she conceived and bare him and so God was his father Mary was his mother and he did not pre-exist the manger in bodily form but he was Jehovah God in spirit form that now indwelled a human body so when Jesus said I'm God in the flesh or I am the son of God or the flesh of God they said no way God has never had flesh God is a spirit God is a spirit being all-knowing all-seeing everywhere all at the same time God is omniscient all-knowing so therefore a human being cannot be that but he said no you don't understand there's a plan in place and I became flesh and I'm dwelling among you as we read in John 1 and 14 so the plan was God setting forth An initial plan in the heavens that from the foundations of the world, the lamb would be slain for us. The problem would come, but the fix was already there. Jesus Christ would come and he would die for us as God in flesh. I understand that Jesus' name comes from J-E, from Jehovah, and S-U-S meaning God become our salvation. I'm so glad that I know that Jehovah became my salvation. How about you? I'm glad that I know that God didn't just send somebody else to take care of a problem, but he came on my behalf. He divested himself of his glory and came down so that the glory of God could be revealed in Jesus Christ. Paul said Christ was the visible image of the invisible God in Colossians 1 and 15. John said he existed in the beginning begotten in body but existing in spirit before the beginning so therefore God did all things working through him because God obviously was there as spirit and then was formed as body and then died for us Jesus pre-existed the manger not in bodily form but in spiritual form and this does not cause a contradiction in scripture when the when the apostle Paul writes that he was set on the right hand of God. But we have to understand in Ephesians 1 and 20 when God raised Christ to the right hand it doesn't contradict any other of the scriptures of Isaiah where he was in the flow of prophet, prophet prophetic utterance and he talks about Jesus Christ and God Almighty. We understand that when the scripture talks about God being on the right hand that is really referring to the right hand of power not a physical location. We know this because the power of God often used even in the antiquity times they would refer to my right hand man or my right hand of authority. So whenever you see the scripture talking about Christ raised and set down on the right hand of God it's referring to his authority then his power being almighty and being God. God in flesh and so we look at scripture because we want to make sure we understand that Ephesians 1 and 20 is not a contradiction if you pull up Isaiah 44 6 through 8 I'll show you that what it talks about here when it's talking about set down on the right hand of heaven if you go to Isaiah 44 6 through 8 for me real quick Nate you'll see that this would be a direct contradiction to Isaiah 44 6 and 8 where it says thus saith the Lord the King of Israel and his Redeemer the Lord of hosts. I am the first and the last and beside me there is no God. Look at Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 5 for me Nate if you would pull that up. I can read it if you don't have it but I want you to see that there would be a massive contradiction if we had a God who was separate from God in that in the sense that he was a son or flesh or a different person. God himself came and robed himself in flesh for me and for you and he died for us on the cross and that story is the story that was planned from the beginning of time literally jesus filled fulfilled what The story was told in the mind of God before it ever happened. Isaiah 45 and 5 would contradict Ephesians 1 and 20 if there was a literal right hand location for Jesus to set down on because it said I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee through though thou hast not known me. Look at one more verse just to make sure you understand 45 verse 21 and 22 is very clear because I would say that hey well it looks like to me that God is saying there's no God other than me. But if you look at Isaiah 45, 21 and 22 there's more clarification tell ye and bring them near yea let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time who hath told it from that time have I not the Lord there is no God else beside me and a just God and a Savior there is none beside me. In other words there is no Savior beside jehovah there is no savior next to me so i have the 60 million dollar question for you today if god is all knowing and omnipresent meaning his spirit is everywhere how do you get on the right side of somebody who is everywhere It is impossible to find the right side. So the literal translation of Colossians 1 and 15, incongruency with Isaiah, tells us that God is not talking about a physical location, but an authority and a power that Jesus Christ had, that in him would be all power and all authority. Amen? So we have to know that in the church of the living God. Hosea picks it up in 13 and 4, where he says these words, Hosea is talking and he says yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt and thou shalt know no God but me for there is no savior beside me that would be a lie if Jesus was sitting on his right hand but we know that the scripture is true amen There is no error in the scripture. It's talking about God Almighty in flesh come to die for us. I'm grateful he came to get us. Amen. I'm grateful God had a plan. Amen. And I want that plan to be activated in my life. If he can do that throughout all of time, we learned some beautiful things from Bible study this week. Brother Raymond Woodward was teaching the skin off his Bible Um, world-class Bible teaching. If you didn't get a chance to see that or you'd like to see it, I've got all the DVDs. I will share them with you as long as you bring them back to me (laughs) because I would love to have them back, and I'm going to dissect them myself. But every five minutes, there was a revelation from the Word of God as we sat there and just were overwhelmed by the beauty of truth. Amen? When truth hits you, you should respond to it when you feel that you should have a response to it when you say that's that's the word of God I know it is when they were stoning Stephen he looked up and he saw some say two thrones Jesus, God on the throne and Jesus on his right hand and Brother Davis was talking to a young man and he said Brother Davis one of our evangelists at camp the evening he said well you would see two people too if you were getting hit in the head with rocks but that's not the case actually what he saw was one throne and Jesus sitting on the right hand of power Acts 7 56. and 56 records the actual stoning of Stephen and there was one standing there who actually gathered the coats and his name was Saul and because of Stephen's Uh, example and because of Stephen's testimony it made them very wrath with him and they actually ran upon him and took him outside the city according to what I read and then stoned him for his understanding of who Jesus was and as he looked up he saw Jesus sitting on the right hand of power it says doesn't say two thrones but on the right hand of power which would reference all of the different things that the prophets knew about God that he is one ultimately one and the same he is God almighty amen amen one on the right hand of god of authority isaiah would have missed it and it would not have been true all of the things he said we would have to just mark them off and say well he just missed it but that's not true there is only one god sometimes i want to spend time in god's presence and know his character and his nature but i also want to know his plan for my life if god can do what he did through the old testament if he can take an Isaiah and show him his nature, if he can take a Jeremiah and walk him outside the city and have him sit down at an outcropping of rocks that are pocked with holes, and eventually that place where Jeremiah nestles in to pray eventually becomes a place called Golgotha where Jesus died, where he watched Jerusalem be destroyed by the Babylonian armies, and he was literally weeping over Jerusalem. If God can orchestrate a plan that keeps all of the different things that happened in the Old Testament pulled together so that the day could come where he would literally be crucified at the place where... Abraham and Isaac offered up Isaac as a sacrifice. If on that mountain where they met so many times to pray and do different things, if they knew that in the future that God would be there and would offer a sacrifice, I think that if God can orchestrate all of that through man's trouble, trials, difficulties, the efforts to destroy the truth, if God can do that, he can plan my life. How about you? Peter said you must... Worship Christ as Lord in your life in First Peter 3 15 and in my outline I want you to know that there were other men that lived out the plan of God for their life look at Moses he was able to live out the plan not only did he make himself a testimony of uh, an example of Jesus Christ by bringing the people out to bring bringing them through the water and bringing them into the promised land we have the same example through Jesus Christ that we need to come out of sin amen we need to walk through the waters of baptism and we need to step into new birth through the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Amen, somebody. And then there's also the example of Abraham who saw the vision of the plan of God, which we so beautifully learned this week, that God preached the gospel to Abraham. How did he do that? He did that through the lamb that was caught in a thicket as he went to offer the sacrifice of his son and raised his dagger. And God said, stop and look over behind you. And there was a lamb caught in the thicket by its head in thorns. We know that it was an example and a type of Jesus Christ who would have a crown of thorns placed on his head and we saw that revelatory teaching this week and we know that God was speaking to Abraham that your son doesn't have to die because I'm going to come in flesh as the son of God and die for all mankind. Someone said amen. David prophesied of the plan of God that nails would pierce his hands and his feet. And David had no way of knowing what he was saying because the Roman crucifix wasn't created till 2,000 years later as a torture mechanism for criminals. Jesus died as a criminal exactly how David said it 2,000 years earlier, all because Jesus was in the plan of God and David was in the plan of God. Someone said amen. Jeremiah saw it because he walked in the plan of God. And as his beautiful city of Jerusalem was being destroyed in front of him, I just feel like maybe God comforted his heart and say, though they destroy my city, I'll build it again, but I'm not going to build it like it was. I'm now going to die right where you're praying, Jeremiah. In the future, about some 800 years, I'm going to be put on a cross right here where you're praying, Jeremiah. And I'm going to die not just for a city, not just for a nation, not just for some tribes that I call my people but I'm going to die for the whole world for every person that their life would matter because I'll die for everyone Jeremiah had a more colloquial view of what Christ or God was trying to do and God was wanting him to see that there's something far bigger that I'm going to do and there's a plan in place amen I thank God that there was a plan in place for my life I thank God that God came and got me that he found me knelt down by my mother praying, playing the piano. And he called me in the ministry. I'm glad that I found places all along the altar of my life where I had places of forgiveness, where God did a work in my life and he changed me. And that work is still working on me right now in this place. I have cried tears and I have found places of repentance. And I've asked God to put me in your plan. And he's done it over and over again. And then, and this week I was reminded that he's not only able to save us but he's able to keep us in his kingdom my story is one where he saved me out of trouble yes but he's also kept me amen he's also restored me he's not just saved me and sustained me but he's helped me in all situations I remember so vividly a time when I was at the Alaska State Camp meeting and I fell on my face and began to pray to God and I knew I wasn't living right, playing the drums in church, being two-faced, being the hypocrite I didn't want to be, hanging out with friends that smoked and did other things, and I was just trying to fit in. But I, I tell you what happened to me that day. I knelt down at an altar and God got a hold of this young boy and he said, you're not going to have that story. I've got a better plan for your life. I've got a better story for you. There's going to be something come out of your life that has eternal meaning and eternal value. And from that day, I tell you, I lost value in the things of this world. Nothing seemed to have glamour enough to draw me to the things that that this world says are most important. But I turned my eyes toward Jesus and he's kept me in my story and in his plan for my life. There's nothing like walking with God. The Bible says in Psalms 17 and 23 that the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. And it goes on to say even more when he pulls it up that Jesus literally can keep us now this is a psalm written by david and david truly knew what it was like to walk with god if you get me psalms 37 and 23 i want to read the last portion of that verse to you as he puts it up there it says "The, the the steps of a good man are ordered of the lord and then the last portion of the scripture says and he delighteth in his way god delights when we put our life in his plan He literally says in the scripture here that when we order our steps through God, we make our own plans and trust God to order our steps. But that when God does order our steps and we stay with his plan, it may not be comfortable. It may not always be easy. It may not seem like this is the best route to take. It may have bumps and potholes and different things. But I want you to know that when you stay submitted to God and you walk with God, that he will delight himself in the way that he takes you. How many would like for God to smile on your plan and smile on your path and smile on your life when he comes and sees how you walk with him Jesus said who do you call, why do you call me good in mark 10 and 18 i want i want you to know that the steps of a good man the bible says it's impossible for us to be good men and women without a good god inside of us amen i hit that on a regular basis but there is no good save one Jesus said and that is god good The good in us is God. And so therefore, we understand that as we watch our world disintegrating into all kinds of stereotypes and different people raising their flag, saying we're important and they're important, I want you to know, I'll say it like you've already heard it, all lives matter. Amen even though some are trying to say hey we need more importance put on these situations and I do believe that the stereotypes are tearing our world apart but in Revelation it talks about that in the last days there'll be perilous times that come and nation will rise against nation and the Greek there talks about ethos or ethnic group ethnic group will rise against ethnic group in the last days you're seeing the last days brothers and sisters and in the in the parable that I'm about to get to where it talks about us being prepared for the bridegroom come the bridegroom to come. I want you to know that as we watch this happen, the scripture reminds us that in the generation that we see this, God is coming back a second time for His church. I want to be ready, Amen. I plan to be ready when Jesus calls my name. I plan to be in a church that's ready. I plan to be in a church that's on fire for God. I plan to be in a church that wants to see God move, that wants to see their friends get saved. We've got one generation left before Jesus comes back. I've been preaching it all my career and I know I've been hearing it all my life, but when we see these things coming to pass, we know that God is coming soon. He says in the season that you see it, just as they said in the scriptures that as you see the fig tree." tenderize and, and, and bud leaves, you know summer's coming. When you see the events that we see happening in our world and the escalation at a level that's just preponderous, we know Jesus is coming back because a world without God is a world that destroys itself. We have to have Jesus. Our, our, our abilities and our prosperity has so far outgrown our morals. It's crazy how much i see people that have no morality literally none and they think it's okay they actually make jokes about it if i had morality it'd be a problem i've seen people make jokes i've heard them and i want you to know that god is not interested in having us just pretend and make our way through life just trying to fix our own problems but if we don't have god in the center of it there will not be anything good come of it, amen? But if we put God in the center of it, that is where we can be good men and women, ordered by the Lord in our steps, amen, somebody? Second Chronicles 7 and 14 came to me a week ago. It's been chewing at the back of my brain all week. The preachers have preached about it at camp as we've been there, and I'm sorry to keep referencing that, but if you hear as much preaching as we've heard in the last week, you would be referencing camp as much as I have too in second chronicles 7 and 14 it says if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will i hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will hear their land i want my life leave that up there if you would to be a life planned by prayer someone said amen We have to plan our life by prayer. It says, if my people, if we're going to be anything, we have to first be his people. Someone said amen. We need to be people of God in this secularized Christian world where church is loosely preaching forgiveness and repentance and people are coming to church but aren't finding true repentance and true conversion. I want you to know I need to be in a church that has a plan of salvation for people. A plan that works, that changes their story. A plan that keeps them saved and a plan that walks them through and brings them out of the darkness that they've been in and into the marvelous light of Christ Jesus. I need to know that there is saving faith and saving truth truth and saving obedience through the word of God in this house. Amen. And so we must be God's people and we must be called by his name. I need his name invoked over me in baptism, amen? I need his name on my life. There's too much going on where I don't need the protection of the name of Jesus. I need to know the power of that name in my prayers. I need to know the power of that name invoked over my life. I need to pray that prayer in Jesus name and plead the blood and know the power of the blood and the name over my children. I need to know that this world that's going to hell in a handbasket can be safely navigated by the people of the name of Jesus Christ, that there's people that know how to pray and how to turn God's face toward their needs and toward their situation and can pray for their country and their nation. I need to know that prayer still works. And then a very key component is to pull down our pride and humble ourselves so that God can minister through us. Amen. If we're so puffed up with pride, it's all about us all about our rights. All about our needs. Instead of looking to somebody else's needs, I was standing in Aldo looking at shoes that sometimes I do. I tend to window shop at shoes more than I buy. I don't know why I do that. It seem to be a waste of time, but I sure like the shoes. And uh, maybe I'm I just raised by my mom and my sister too much. And I do a little bit of woman shoe shopping. Look at them, try them on, put them back. Um, but I... I was standing there and there was a man to my left looking at the clearance area and I was just drawn to him. I felt my spirit was saying, you need to talk to that man. And I turned to him and I said, how are you doing today? He said, pretty good. I said, seems like, he goes, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. He said, and he just, we started a conversation he said, I like these shoes. How about you? He's like, oh yeah, I always like their shoes. We started talking about how they're becoming a little bit more casual. And we got into a conversation and I said, I'm a preacher and and I wear dress shoes a lot of the time. So I constantly, I'm looking for good deals. And he said, oh, you're a preacher. Okay. Where do you preach at? And I told him in Life Spring. And, and um, he said, okay. I said, are you a man of faith? Just wanted to start there. You know, good place to start is, do you believe in God? And he's like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm like, I, it's interesting. I was drawn to you when I walked in here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit and just see where you were. You seem like a good man. And I, I think that you are. And he's like, well, he goes, really? I, I have to revise that. I do believe in God, but all of my family are hypocrites. All of my family use God as a mask and aren't really true Christians. And I said, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that and I gave him my card I said if you ever have any questions or you ever want to sit down and have a Bible study you call me on this card and I will talk to you at length and I will show you that God is a real God and there are real people who have clean hands and a pure heart that walk with God and are not hypocrites and I told him I said I would rather go to church where there are a few hypocrites than go to hell where all the hypocrites are (laughs) I don't know why I was so bold but I told him that (laughs) And he's like, well, I guess that's a point that I need to hear. And so he's probably going to give me a call and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about the word of God. If you don't care about somebody standing next to you, how will you care whenever God wants you to reach out to somebody you don't know? If you don't care about your brother and sister in the church, how will you reach out to somebody you don't even know that's not even in the church? We need to get a whole heart change where we humble ourselves and say, my schedule's not as important as a lost soul. My schedule and my convenience is not as important as someone going to heaven. If I have have to stand here and just talk to somebody I don't know for a few minutes and maybe just maybe by chance make an opportunity for them to find a saving truth how about you would you be willing to do that I know that God wants us to not only live out our plan but seek his plan in somebody else's life seek his way for for them it's too hard preacher it's just too hard to do that so difficult there's nothing you do that's worth doing that's not difficult amen there's nothing i i I want you to know that growing up in the church i realized something very important that pulling yourself back out of sin is twice as hard as never sinning in that area at all and the reason why the church preaches abstinence in sex and different things like that because god in his word says it he says that there are sins that we must Abstain from. There are things that we must keep ourselves from. And the reason why he says that is because our fleshly nature does not get saved. It does not get converted. We are born again in our spirit and in our soul. And we're working on this flesh all of our life. And if you let yourself go into an area of sin, it will be twice as hard for you to come back out of that sin as if it were that you never tasted. You never went there. You never tried it. And there are places where God has good things for us, but they're under the sanctity of certain covenants. And we must be sure that we are careful. Trying to walk with God, with sin in our life, only discourages us because we haven't truly been converted and changed by the power of the Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying you can live a life without sin on your own. I'm not saying you can live a life without sin by your own willpower, but sin will destroy you if you don't have the power of the Holy Ghost inside you, which helps you conquer the sin in life. Amen. I know that is a hard topic, and I know that sex is reserved for marriage. It is a fire that is a beautiful thing and a passionate thing and a lovely thing. But God said that it is for the covenant of marriage. It's safe in the fireplace of marriage, but you will burn down a relationship if you start with intimacy and try to work your way backwards. It is the hardest thing to do. And our culture is so designed in such a way that women and men think they have to test drive the vehicle before they purchase it. And the truth of the matter is that God wants you to make that person your number one before you test drive it. Amen. That is the message of the church and that is the word. Fornicators, adulterers, liars, cheaters, all of those things find a place in the lake of fire the scripture says and I have to say things that are inconvenient in this house because I'm a preacher and because I've taken an oath with God that I will watch for the souls of the people of this house and if you're living that life I want to encourage you that God can help you to make a separation to, to the point that you separate long enough to to make plans and get married and do it the right way amen I know my wife and I were privileged to stand at an altar, never having had sex before, and it is something that is a strange message to this world and sex-driven culture. I know that, and even in the church, we're uncomfortable with the word sex coming over the pulpit, but the world is selling it to our eighth graders, and the world is selling it to our fourth graders, and there are people out there that don't care what you think about the word sex sex and they're coming after our children. And we are literally seeing the crumbling of families because of the sex driven world we live in. And I've got to say it because I'm a pastor and I see it tear men apart and addictions to pornography. I see it tear families apart when people think that because they're not happy, they need to go find it someplace else. Hear me today. I'm not condemning anybody in this room. I'm putting you in the hands of Jesus Christ. But as a preacher, I've got to say it. If you need help in this area, get full of the Holy Ghost. Have God help you. Because that's the only way you can do it. It's with the Holy Ghost in your life. Chronicles 7, it breaks it down. And I'm trying to help somebody humbly receive the word of God today. And in the third location of the scripture, it says that we would seek his face. How many have sought God's face before? You didn't care what he did for you. You didn't care how he responded just as long as you were able to be in his presence. See, if we stop seeking the gifts of God and the handouts of God and his hand and we start seeking his face, then he'll hear from heaven and heal our land. And the Bible says he hears us. Turn to somebody and say, he hears you. It's important that we know that God hears us. Amen. When we're praying and humbly seeking his face, he hears us. He may not answer as fast as we think he should. But I want you to know that God heard your prayers and he's working on it. It was either a yes, no, or wait. Or I will make do and I will do it in my timing. That's what wait usually means is God's working on it. I want you to know he's working on prayers we pray when we seek him humbly. As his people called by his name. Amen. And so in the scripture that I pulled out in Chronicles, I'm trying to hurry. I needed to get to all this today. I felt I felt God wanted me to address this stuff. In the in the area that I'm pulling out for you, this is Solomon after he dedicated the temple. And if you go on to verse 4 in chapter 8, you see that Solomon is given in the end of chapter 7 some some commandments from God. And he said, if you will keep my commandments, and if you will keep my statutes, I'll put my name upon this tabernacle. He was dedicating his tabernacle, Solomon's tabernacle. He said, I'll put my name there. My name will rest in that place. How many want God's name resting on this church? Amen. Oh, yes, we do. We want to keep God's covenants because what Solomon had in that day, we have as spiritual lessons to us. And so if we keep God's commandments, if we walk after God through the Spirit's help, we can literally have God's name on our lives. And so then Solomon commits to God and he sets out to conquering the land. And in the next few verses, we see different places. One is named Haran, back up to verse number two if you would and then just work your way down in the cities which he conquered the first one was named Haran and if you don't know the name of Haran just follow me quickly in this little Bible study because I want you to know what following after God does for your life. This is a representation of what God does for us. The conquered city was named Haran which means noble born. When you live for God he will allow you to conquer things that remind you of your noble birth in Christ Jesus. That you are a child of God. Amen. And then Solomon conquers another place called hamath Zuba, which means a fortress in other words it says that in this place that solomon went and he prevailed over the fortress and so i want you to tell you that when we walk with god by the power of the spirit and keep his covenants god will allow us to conquer the strongholds of the enemy in our life and in our territory amen God will allow us to pull down every fortress. And then he conquers a town named Tadmor, which means palm tree. And a palm tree has its life at the center of the tree. In other words, you can bend it over, you can fold it down in a storm, but it will stand back up. I've preached on it before. The Bible literally tells us in this example that as he conquered that city, it means that our life would be found in a very hidden place in the deepest parts and that the palm tree, that's what it represents. And then he conquers a place called Beth Haran, which means house of hollowness. And when we walk with God through the power of the Holy Ghost and we conquer sins and we let ourselves be submitted to the word of God and change our lives, we literally conquer the ability for this house to be empty, this house to not have a place where the anointing falls. I want this place to be a place where God's power is, where there is no hollowness, but it's full of God's presence and it's full of the power of God. I want that plan in my life. Amen so when we live for God this way we conquer a house of hollowness our being is the vessel of God we will have purpose and value we will not live a hollow life we will literally conquer the hollow things in our life and see blessing and fullness and wholeness someone said amen and then also Solomon conquered a place called Belath which is meaning mistress Belath and so I go on to the the parable quickly that literally it's saying that Solomon, when he committed to God, that God let him conquer all of these places that he found a place of noble birth that he conquered fortresses that there was a life like a palm tree in his life there there was a conquering of the hollowness of the house and that there was a conquering of the distractions and the attractions and the mistresses of the soul and of the world amen the things that draw us away from the bridegroom are conquered when we live in covenant with God amen somebody that we conquer the mistresses of our soul. Amen. And in Matthew 25, where the ten virgins are found, the parable, it says that they woke up as the call came, that the bridegroom comes, and they trimmed their lamps. The word lamp there is only used five times in Scripture. You can go to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13, if you would for us. As we step out of the Old Testament and look at this parable to finish today, I want you to know that the church needs to be awake, amen, and alive. The church needs to be full of oil, Holy Ghost anointing oil, amen. And so the lamps that they trimmed here, some of them, some of us think that they're Raising up and taking a small lamp that had an oil basin below it and a wick and a light and that's the lamp that they carried out. It does not seem to be that way according to the text because that word lamp is only used five different times. One of the times is used when they came to get Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. They carried torches that were like lamps with a with a vessel that had a had a flame on it and it would burn up and use that oil that was in it. But they had the same kind of lamp because. It would seem that they were going out to meet the bridegroom and what they would do in those days and customs the bridegroom would come in and they would hold out the torches and have somewhat of a parade as it were where the bridegroom would come in and then the bride would go in with the bridegroom and so they needed these lamps to celebrate the certain passage of the groom walking by in order to go in to the marriage supper of the lamb or the, or the supper of the bride and groom and so they needed these lamps and they needed the oil which the Bible tends to speak of the oil being in a separate vessel if you read the context of the scripture then the kingdom of heaven be likened to 10 virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom there's several things left out of the story I don't have time to go into those things but let's go to the next verse and let's just read through it if you would with me quickly and five of them were wise and five foolish when they woke up they realized that they didn't have enough oil for their lamps five of them were not ready five of them did have enough oil in their vessel it is very important that I stop here and say you You need Holy Ghost oil in your vessel, brothers and sisters, in your tabernacle. You need to be full of the Holy Ghost because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know when the groom is returning. Amen. You go ahead and go home and read from Matthew 24 all the way through the end of the chapter, all the way through the end of Matthew. And you'll see it talks about that we don't know the day nor the hour, but we must be ready. And the only way to be ready is to be full of anointing oil, to be full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So we have to do that. The foolish were found out when they woke up and they didn't have oil. All of them went to sleep as wise. But when they woke up, there were five foolish and there were five wise. The five wise had extra oil. I don't want to indict the five wise virgins, but I'd like to say what if there was enough oil to share? What if they weren't just praying for enough oil for themselves and their own vessel? But what if they had thought of the others and had enough for them too what if we had a place in our own life where we don't just pray for our own needs and pray for our own life uh, journey but we pray for others and we try to have enough oil in our lamps and in our life where we can spill out on somebody else and we can share God with somebody else and we can be anointed enough to where others can be touched by the anointing and lit on fire for God what if we were to do that John said in the word that it was made flesh. I'll get back to that. But in the rest of this, the story here, we see that they went out in the next verse. If you go to verse five, it says, while the bridegroom tarried, they that they slum- they slumbered they all slumbered and slept. Notice that the wise and the foolish slept. There are times when churches go through cycles where they're sleeping and they're not as awake as they should be. We're coming out of a cycle, I believe, where we're awakening to revival. I truly believe that. I believe that God is setting the stage for us to have revival. The reason why I know that is because there is major things happening all around us. Major churches closing right now. Westbrook Church is completely closed right now. There were 3,000 people in that church at one time. It is closed. They are not having service this morning. Those people need to have a place to worship. Those people need to be baptized in Jesus' name. They need to have a church that has fresh oil in it. Amen. And we're going to see that revival. We're going to see that revival. And while the bridegroom tarries, they all slept. Let's wake up, church. Let's come alive and at midnight there was a cry made behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him go on to the next verse and all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps next verse and the foolish said unto the wise give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out there wasn't enough. And there's so many things I could touch on here. I just have to discipline myself to keep reading. And <laughs> verse 9 says, But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go, ye rather, to them that sell and buy for yourself. And these foolish virgins did go and do that. But it made them late for the bridegroom. Next verse. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they were... and and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut next verse afterwards came also the other virgins saying Lord Lord open to us they had a lamp they had oil they purchased they had the ability to light their lamp but there was no longer a need for it because the bridegroom and the foot and the wise brides had already gone in And so he said and answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, I know you not. That is an indictment to all of the world of Christendom. We must have a knowing relationship with God. We must know him intimately, amen. We must know him through the power of the spirit. In the next verse, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the son of man cometh. It's literally saying that we have to be ready. I want this church to be ready. Amen? I want you to plan to go to heaven when the trumpet sounds. When the dead in Christ rise first and we are all who are alive are caught up to meet him in the, the air. Do you have a plan to make it to heaven? Have you canceled your reservation in hell? Have you called the devil and told him you can cancel my seat? I will not be there. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to make sure that I'm saved. That I know that I know that I know that I'm going to heaven. Would you stand with me? Today, if you haven't repented of your sins, you need to. If you haven't been washed in the blood, we'll fill the baptistry and baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If you need the Holy Ghost, all you need to do is respond to the word and God will fill you with the Holy Ghost. That can happen here today and it's gonna happen more and more as we let ourselves respond to God. Here's the thing, brothers and sisters, now that we come to the closing of this service, you have to be the ones that respond to it. I was so impressed by the fact that even though the preacher preaches, if you don't respond, if you don't let God reach into you and pull something out of you, this is just another sermon for another Sunday followed by another lunch. I want you to know that we have to respond to what God says. If there's a place that was struck in you that got uncomfortable, while I was preaching. I ask you to know that that is God's conviction, not God's condemnation. He does not condemn us, but he convicts us and draws us with his kindness. And if there's anything in your life you need to repent of, would you make an altar out of this place today? As they bring these lights down, I want you to know that I cannot know what's in your life. And even in scripture, when it comes to the end of days, when there's a judgment for our life, It talks about some some semblance of being surprised at who did what and who had what in their life. I wanna be a person who's real, who's honest with you and say that I need an altar as much as you need an altar. I need God to touch me as much as you need God to touch you. And I need His grace to teach me as much as you need His grace. Coming out of all the things that we see in scripture. I wanna be one of those ones that have the lamp trimmed, ready, and have extra oil in my vessel. Some of you may feel dry today. I want you to know you came to a good place. There's life springing here. There's life growing up here. We preach a gospel where everything gets to live. Amen. So today, if you found yourself with any kind of lust struggle, that brings forth sin. And when sin is conceived, it brings forth death. If you found any death in your life, the gospel I'm preaching will reverse the curse, amen, and put life back into you. You can have that today. Would you lift your hands with me? I'm opening this altar. If you need God to restore you in any way, if you've been walking with God, but you want to be awakened more than ever before, if you want your sons, your daughters to live for God in a way like never before. If you have a fortress in your life you need to conquer, if you have a stronghold that you need to tear down, today you can do it. This altar's open to you. There's a place to bow your knee and pray. I'd ask you, would you come? Would you seek God? Would you gather every amount of strength that you have and say, God, I want your plan for my life. God, I want you to write my story. Maybe you've tried to write it, but you've been successful in areas and not so successful in others. Give him the story. Give him the story. Let him put you back in his plan for you. Let him start all over again if he has to and build something beautiful out of you. You can find a place to pray today. In Jesus' name.